0: Sure, having a large following and a big platform is important, but what's more important for actually getting things accomplished is a strong interpersonal network, a network of of people who know you and respect you. And when they get an email from you, they actually open it very quickly because they're like, okay, I'm going to take this person seriously because I've known them for 12 years. Welcome
1: to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. In our previous podcast episode, we brought you an interview with Dan Chabel, where we learned about his background, the people in his life who keep him moving forward, and his insights on professional development. It was a rewarding conversation that I highly encourage you to listen to if you've not done so yet. In part two of our conversation, the New York Times best-selling author talks about the art of making an introduction a task he doesn't take lightly. In addition, Dan hosts a podcast called Five Questions where he asks some of the most successful people and interesting people in the world only five carefully crafted questions in episodes that last less than 15 minutes. Here, in part two, we ask Dan to ask five questions of himself. So here now is part two of my conversation with Dan Chabel. enjoy.
0: I mean you do a lot of introductions you're in like the networking world I send very few introductions I have to I have to almost visualize the output of that introduction before I make it um and then I spell it out in the email G- give me an example what do you mean like- as in as in if I think two people would benefit from each other yeah I have to almost see in the future like rub the crystal ball see in the future them actually like hit, giving each other a handshake because they did a business deal and then in the email, I'm like, okay, you know, John and, and Mary, you can both help each other in these ways. And here's how I see it, the relationship playing out. Great. It's oh, it's kind of crazy, but I don't do a lot of introductions. So when I do an introduction, it's taken cre- like so seriously because people know that.
1: Okay. Awesome. I'm so glad you brought that up because I'd love for you to explain and talk that through because it sounds like you make a great introduction. They're few and far between, but when they do, they're magical. So I, uh, I actually do, I teach, I literally teach people because I see opportunities dropped so often when people, when when finally people are going to make a connection between other people and they just send an email. Hey, you know, and they, they well, I, I don't want to steal the thunder because I want to walk you. I'd love to hear how you go about that. And then I'll, if it's okay with you, I'd like to say, Hey, here's the, this is what I think you've done. Awesome. And here's where potentially it could be improved. Do you mind? We, Let's we do that, it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, so think of you don't have to say names, but maybe give an example if anything comes to mind of one of the last introductions that you've made. Like, like you know, how did it happen? Who did, did they ask for it? Is it just something? Hey, maybe I thought about these two people could benefit each other, and this was the process that you walked through to make that connection.
0: Yeah. So, uh, thank you for being a good sport <laughs> for playing. I'll, thank you. I'll give you an <laughs> I'll give you an example. So. There's an author friend of mine who I met on the speaking circuit, and then there's my agent or agency, my literary agency. And I saw, based on his speech, that there was he had potential. So I just talked to him about, you know, have you written a book or have you thought about writing a book? And he's like, yeah, I have, but I'm not sure. Should I do publisher? Should I not? Or like, maybe I don't do it right now. Like, he was didn't wasn't uh fully on board to do the book yeah. but i saw the potential i kind of got excited i see he wasn't famous but he had the right mix of the platform the ideas the excitement he had he had the right packaging to make spark. it work i saw it's the spark and i have an agent who i'm obsessed with i dedicated the book if you want to read how great he is wow read uh read the acknowledgement section. And so I was I'm like, read this thing he, can, he can, and, he, and he's worked with people like him before. Authors like, potential Discover authors talent. like him. So I'm like, it's not mm-hmm. out of the ballpark that he wouldn't represent him, right? So it's, again, empathy, thinking, would he even represent him, and would it be worth his time? And would this be worth this uh, speaker's time to write a book, right? And so it was yes for both. And then the speaker got really interested because I was like, yeah, I think, I think you have something here, but... I wanted him to s- display effort before I made the introduction. So give me a, a one-page summary about what this book is, why you're the best person to write it, and what the marketing plan would be like, how many speeches you give in a year, where the where you speak, et cetera, and how, and how large the audiences are. So I made him do all of that, all that hard work. And then I asked my agent, hey, he's, you know, I am friends with so-and-so, here's a one-pager of." Of you know how he would make this book successful and sell ten thousand copies because they that's the authors want ten thousand copies or sorry the publishers want ten thousand copies in one year. So I sent that to to my agent. He's like, sure, I'd love the introduction. And then I spelled everything out in the email. Here's so-and-so. Here's what they're looking to do. Here's attached their uh, one-page summary of the book and and how they're going to sell 10,000 copies. And here's my agent. Here's why he's the best agent to possibly do this. Boom. Wow
1: high five on that one by the way so that's an a plus so and 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 a lot of work went into that right that's not that wasn't five the key minutes.
0: part is i tested his level of effort to put in the project because he, he's not willing to do a page summary he's not willing to write a full book hundred percent I, I i
1: commend you on every single facet of that and and so few and and as it you know what
0: can you share as a result of that introduction I don't, I don't know the result. I haven't checked in yet. Gotcha. Oh, so no. this is real recent. Recent, yeah. Oh, okay, great. So but I felt good about it because yeah. I think introductions are part logical and part emotional. Yeah. So I have to see the logical benefit for both, maybe monetarily or in terms of producing a great product. And, but I, it also has to be emotional. Do I like these people? Do I, I feel like that there'll be a, a good human connection regardless of what happens? So it's logic, it's where an introduction for me happens where logic and emotion meet. Yeah,
1: that's a great, I mean, so every facet of what you did was fantastic. So a lot of times people make so much, like the intent, it's so great when people think of you, you know, like, and they make a connection, but a lot of times there's so many things that go wrong. And it's a shame because with an introduction can be so powerful, it can be life changing. Like that guy that you've made, you could change his life. So what happens is sometimes people, They either just make an introduction. I I call, I ask, you know, it's a blind intro. One of the worst things you could possibly do. So I do a a double opt-in. So you get permission from both sides, which you did. And then I also do the same thing where I test both sides too. Okay, cool. You guys are, uh, you've agreed to connect. Give me something to help explain how or what it is that you bring to the table. You did that. You got the one pager. You tested both intro. You did all that. Then you facilitated it and you gave them a map. You wrote out, a, you gave a roadmap to the relationship and how everybody could benefit. Uh, one thing I forgot to ask you is did you make it clear in the uh, introduction who should follow up with who? Do you remember? I'm assuming it was the the gentleman who could potentially benefit. Correct, correct. Yeah, So yeah. I'm, I'm I don't bet, really remember I, that. I, I bet you did. A lot of thought went into this and I can yeah. tell, so I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. But that's also where a lot of people go wrong because what happens is, especially when you're matching people at a certain level, egos get in the way. Yeah. You say, oh, well, Dan, I'll wait for him to follow up with me, you know,
0: as if it's a shame. No, the it's... agent was way more powerful. percent yeah, you know, <laughs> That point. wasn't the issue. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. But, but sometimes. But I've had a bad situation, too, where a CEO reached out on Instagram and he's like, oh, let's, you know, schedule a call to talk about networking or something put no thought into it, just basically mimicked what he's probably done to other Instagram influencers being like, well, like I'll be on your podcast or like something like that. And just, you could tell there was just no care. And then when you, when I asked him about like, okay, why are you interested in my content or, or partnering in some way? He just was like, oh, I just want to network. Like there was just no effort or thought into any of it. And therefore I was like, yeah, it's not worth my time. Yeah. Can't do it. Good. Yeah, I like that. I, yeah. I, 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 uh, I get. I
1: set my uh, LinkedIn profile, so I added an R. You know, I'm Adam R. So if anyone just hits yeah. LinkedIn invite without personalizing it, I can tell. So if they, as opposed to just saying Adam. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but if you're yeah. on LinkedIn right now and you just click that, even if you had one of those cut and paste, you know,
0: so I can weed out who just cut and paste an intro versus. You know, personal. I rarely do that too. Yeah. So I what? rare. I mean, maybe I send five a year for connections on LinkedIn. Gotcha. But it's like, you know, if it's if it's a head of HR, if it's someone who I I think would benefit from my work in some really strong way, then I'll I'll do it because I think it's worth it. Yeah. So it's it's less is more. Mm. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world where. It's all about numbers, right? How many followers, how many connections do you have, how many views do you have? How many likes do you have? How many how many people are in your network? You know. But I, I honestly think after all of this, sure, having a large following and a big platform is important, but what's more important for actually getting things accomplished is a strong interpersonal network a network of of people who know you and respect you and when they get an email from you they actually open it very quickly because they're like okay I'm going to take this person seriously because I've known them for 12 years and so I think the mentality it's actually in chapter 3 is you know people are like how do I keep in touch with people for a long period of time right and it does become top of mind for instance I'm all about shared learning that's the title and it's like this whole mantra getting back to mantras it's when I learn, I share. So when I read an article, much like you did earlier today, I mean I Googled and I found the article myself, but you brought up the attention of uh, you know, benches in the UK where people talk and, and feel like they can be open, that provided value because I'm like, oh wow, I should know that. That's interesting. And I was just in Cuba and the only places where people were using technology were the parks. Really. So in the parks you have the the benches, but that's where people that those are designated benches for technology. Whereas in the UK, what what you uh, shared with me today is that there are designated places where you can actually be human. So it's like comparing contrasting that, and without you sharing that, I couldn't have made the connection, which now I can bring into a presentation or an article or whatever else I'm working on because. This is the topic that I care about. And it's those connections that are so valuable. So if I find a study, an article, a white paper, something of interest to someone in my network, I'm gonna think of them first because I've spent 12 years connecting, interviewing, you know, reading their material, so I know I what know would be interesting to them. Like, for instance, I just did this with Cal Newport who wrote Minimalism. And, Cal's awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. And any, since we wrote, I mean, our topics are very similar. Digital minimalism, back to human. This, you know, he took it to more of an extreme than me. But if I read about something that interests me, it's going to interest him too because it's the same topic. And uh, it's less to me. It's less about competition, more about how do you rise up together because you both care about the similar topic and are trying to achieve maybe a similar goal. You'll appreciate this. So some of the things that I teach people, I have a
1: certification to teach people how to really, you know, it's a credential to become uh, to increase their social capital. And uh, every night. Or morning, depending on if you're an evening or a morning person. It's a reflective exercise to just document, you know, what'd you do? What'd you do today? What'd you experience? Whatever that might be. And it does. it's good for you for so many ways, but in terms of relationships, so... Where'd you eat? You know, that really cool restaurant you're going, you know, would be in that, in your journal, the podcast we had, the conversation we talked about, the lunch we had, anything that you've read, all these things that you experienced. Maybe you received a funny meme, whatever that might be. And then I do that journal every day. And then I think about who in my networks would benefit, who would be interested in that article. Who would be who would get a kick out of that dirty meme? You know who would really like that movie that we that movie that you know my wife and I saw or whatever that might be, and then I share that with other people because it shows someone that hey you know you're top of mind. Who doesn't like just being thought of? And then who doesn't also who especially if it's something that's going to benefit them, whether it's put a smile on their face, make them think of other people, something that they can learn or potentially make money on, whatever that might be. So to your point, that's excellent. Big fan of that. I feel really bad now because uh, you talk about being cognizant of other people's time and only spending 10 minutes, and here I am taking up your entire afternoon. Um, before I let you go, will you humor me with a couple of like quick questions? Sure. So, I wrote down a couple. Uh, we've covered a lot, to be honest, in, in one way, shape, or form, but I'll, I'll ask you a couple quick ones if you could. Um,
0: what would you say was your biggest break? August 2007, Tom Peters, who's the original management guru who wrote In Search of Excellence and wrote The Brand Called You for the cover of Fast Company Magazine. I was profiled 10 years to that date in 2007 on personal branding and the next generation of personal branding. And that was the biggest break in my life because I didn't know what press could do or who was reading it. I didn't know the impact it could make. I was just... An entry-level worker at this massive company and the someone in PR got wind of the article sent it to an executive at the article and then that turned into me creating the first social media position the article and then that gave me the level of confidence and the aha moment to move in this career path that I didn't think was possible I'd say that's a big break (laughs) okay cool what do you think is the biggest way that Millennials are
1: misunderstood
0: yes every generation thinks the younger generation is lazy and it's really not true. A person is lazy, not a whole generation. There are people in your life that you think are lazy. Maybe fewer than there were when you were growing up, because you naturally want to align yourself with people who are not lazy if you're ambitious. So that your pool gets gets uh, you know more focused as you get older. I think that's a big misconception is, is people think that young people are lazy. It's, it's um, a lot of it comes from insecurity and maybe they're lazy. <laughs> uh-huh. All right.
1: If you were interviewing Dan right now, what would have been the five questions that, um, you'd be asking, or I guess four, because we know. Yeah. Well,
0: is. what's yeah. the best piece of career yeah. advice? I would well, ask Well, you could still throw that in there. Let's see. I mean, I would I, yeah, I would well, you've heard my best yeah, piece of career okay. advice is yep. to have as many experiences as you can as early in life as possible to narrow down what you want to do and what you want to avoid. My my other thing that I would ask is, you know, how do you think you are able to create a competitive advantage and differentiate yourself in in an industry that you were never really fully educated on when you were growing up? Ooh. Yeah. That's a good one should have written that down. Do you have an answer for that? Yeah. <laughs> do so basically I took a skill set that was common in marketing and brought it to HR where it was rare and valuable. Mm. And how, did, and I only knew that over yeah, the past yeah. few years, it took me a decade to figure out that I did that. So mm-hmm. sometimes it comes down to reflecting and it takes some people longer than others to figure out why certain things happen in their life and, and looking back that's why it happened.
1: Interesting. So did, did you figure that out or did, was there a gravitational pull where you were finding that the HR community was reaching out to you or was truly benefiting from, uh, from your research? And, and
0: A little bit of both. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't come to the full conclusion up until maybe last year.
1: Really? Yeah. Wow. So you're probably set for some pretty exponential growth now that you're really dialed in, if you will.
0: I'm more focused, which is helpful, right? I'm more focused and and I have a better, deeper understanding about why this happened. So maybe I can do it again. Yeah. Wow. Uh, The other question I would say is biggest mistake or one of your bigger mistakes that you've had in your career and how that has shaped your future decision making. And Mm -hmm. I would say I had the opportunity to sell a magazine that I created many, many, many years ago, and I didn't. Because I was emotionally attached to it, huh, so what happened to it? I never sold it and went under oh. I didn't know any better, and yeah. i I loved it so much, and that's a lesson learned. Can't get yeah. too emotionally attached to things that you might be able to sell in the future. Is there a way to resuscitate that, or no, it's, no, it's been it's so many just, years oh yeah, gosh, okay, that's one, and then that's three, so the four we got one left. What I would happened? ask like. I think my parents have had a huge impact, so what advice do they give me that, or what did they do for me, or advice that they've given me that has made a huge, huge impact in my life? And I would say they kept me back uh, in kindergarten, so I was able to mature with the rest of the kids because I was not as mature as the, the people I was uh, in school with at that time. That was huge. Number two would be they, they pushed me not to quit my job until I was ready financially. Job, which job? What EMC. Say? Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I was there for three and a half years, yeah. but I wanted to quit every day because I was like, you know, I was I was, in you know, years. in a conference room getting interviewed by CNN. Like, I, my life was insane because I was in my mid-20s at a big company, but, like, having micro fame outside of that company. Yeah. So it was crazy. That is wild. Yeah. Like... I get, you know, uh, you know, their their big headquarters. Like, I got my book deal in a conference room at the headquarters. Like, I was interviewing, like Gary Vaynerchuk in in the parking lot. Like, it was a weird life to live because, outside of actually doing the work, everything was so exciting. And then I'd be in work. I'm like, this is cool. But like, once I step out of work or when I go to a conference room, it's almost like Clark Kent and Superman. Right? Like, I'm Clark, can't work for this company, but the second I have a chance to go into that conference room, go to the parking lot, go to the back of the cafeteria, go home, I'm Superman. Yeah. I felt like that. Yeah. So I'd say that's the, the next one. Um, what about them getting you, how to make you get a job at 13? Yeah, that would be the third one. I, I think that was huge for me because, because that set everything else in motion. It's always the first opportunity, the first opportunity is the hardest to get. Uh, not just because maybe you need to know someone or you don't know how to get a job, you don't know how to interview. It's because you don't know how important that job is and it might not be that sexy. So you're not excited about it. Whereas when you get older, you kind of mold yourself into something you might enjoy more. Your first job is like probably not going to be aligned to what you want to do for the rest of your life. And so I think that early push sets so much in motion. I mean, it set, that one job set, you know, eight internships, my own business, you know, a big corporate job, consulting, starting other companies, writing books. It set everything in motion, that first job. And you only, it was hard to appreciate it in the moment. But looking back, of course, I'm like, oh, what did I learn? I learned how to work. You know, I think the other big thing that happened to me in that job and the subsequent jobs is I always work with people who are older than me. A big, big fan of that too. So it's it was always easy for me to connect with people who are much older than me. And yeah. I think, as you probably know, like people who are older than you, typically, you know, the city have a lot of outliers, but typically they are in more power positions, and you can learn a lot from them because they've been in, on this earth longer. So I learned a lot when I was younger because I was always connecting with people older. And the the thing that stood out to me the other, so. I guess the last question would be what was something I learned from an older person I worked with when I was younger that gave me a new perspective on relationships long term. And that was as you get older, you have fewer closer friends, so choose them wisely now. Make That's that it. Truth. I like how you- so it's like who do I want to be friends with long term? And now I you know, once you have a list of those people let's say start spending time with them because that will be your life for the most part i mean who knows someone might move to africa or something but i think that if you know that's what life is going to be like when you're 70 80 90 why not start choosing now yeah so that's really powerful sage advice right there. And but I, you don't think about it. You're like going through life and you're like, oh, I'm meeting this person. Oh, they just moved here. I'm meeting this new person and we're becoming friends and now I'm you know, married and now I have a kid and I'm not spending as much time with him and her anymore. And it's like, but what if you take a step back before all of that happens and you're like, okay, I want to be friends with this, this person, this person, this person, this person, and then maybe create a You know, a dinner once a month or, you know, I I always respect the people who have these annual retreats with their friends that they still do in their 60s and 70s. Like we're going to go to Vegas every, you know, May or something. I love that when I hear that. I, I sort of I do like a big trip every year, but not in that way. I think it's so smart.
1: So I have three groups of friends that we do a trip i got a high school
0: group of friends, I've got a college
1: group of friends, and I've got kind of like my, I don't know what you want to call these monkeys that I hang out with now, but we all, every year, we do at least one trip, and then we usually do, we'll at least do a dinner, a couple of dinners, it's, and, and to your point, it's just, I will drop and move the earth to make sure that I don't miss, I've not missed any of them. And so, to your point, the, the value of that—of having those connections, having those friends, having that support—that also goes back to what you talked about too, with the mental illness. And man, Dan, really awesome conversation. Uh, this is round one because the next <laughs> one we're doing—we're uh, doing in the studio. Uh, I'm bummed that that didn't happen today because there are so many morsels of, of wonderfulness that just transpired here. Um, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Uh, thanks again. Thank for, you for making this I appreciate happen. Appreciate it. Man. You got it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a Networkwise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network, the ones who succeed will network wise.